All right. Well, what is your favorite thing to watch on TV? We could, we could talk about that for a little while. Um, I, I, I think there's so much, so many new shows. It's kind of like a mile wide and an inch deep. Like there's just so many new shows, so many new things to follow. One thing that I really, really enjoy watching, and I can't wait, comes on. In fact, I would love to open up our house and invite all of you there. Um, and and uh, let me know if you'd like to come. It's November 21st at 2 p.m. Monday. What's on TV? November 21st at 2 p.m. Something we're all looking forward to. Anybody know? Yeah, the World Cup. I have been waiting eight years. Eight years, right? Which is embarrassing. Eight years to watch. Well, I watched it four years ago. But it is, I enjoy, I enjoy international football, uh, soccer, um, and uh, that I think, think we have a, a shot at going a little further. Well, we definitely will go further than last time. Uh, but this is something that the world loves to watch. Last year, FIFA officially uh, confirmed that the World Cup was watched by, listen to this, 3.57 billion people. That's more than half the world at that time. 3.57 billion. To put that in perspective... The first game of the Houston Phillies was like less than 10 million, which is good, right? Four billion, four billion people. The world is getting together to watch this. And, uh, and I think our first game is against Wales. Uh, so if you want to watch it with me, let me know. Um, unless you're from Wales. No, that would be fine. Um, I wonder this. Here's the question for you. What do angels watch on TV? The... the there's a lot of shows about angels, but what would the angels sit down and watch if they could watch? Let's get the screen aside. What do angels observe? What do angels enjoy looking at? Well, the answer to that is in our text today. We find actually what angels enjoy watching. And it may be a little surprising to you. Um, it's all inside the kind of an envelope, a letter that's written by Apostle Paul, Ephesians, to this city church. And in the middle of this letter, he's talking very personally about himself and what God had called him to do. And in there, he, he gives us an answer to this, but it's all talking about God's grace. God's grace, and so that fits us today. And so today, we're going to just walk through this quickly. God's grace is a foundation for Christ's rich blessing to the church. God's glory is the purpose for Christ's rich blessing to the church. Let's jump into that first verse. God's grace is the foundation for our blessings as a church. Now, Paul is, gets very personal here. He says, to me, the very least of all saints, grace was given. And in fact, if you were reading in the original language, grace was given is the main idea of this whole paragraph. That's why I'm saying it starts and ends with grace. Grace was given to me. Okay, so grace is, there's grace, and so it's all talking about grace to me. And he's really focused on himself as an unworthy messenger. Paul recognizes that he is an unworthy messenger. Now, he is very Jewish. Uh, he was the Jewish of the Jewish. He was uh, made Orthodox Judaism. Uh, like, he was the ultra-Orthodox of the ultra-Orthodox. Uh, if you open your Bible, he, he wrote actually 13 of the letters that are in, in your Bible. Um, but he was extremely Jewish. So much so that when he first heard of Jesus, this 
man who claimed to be son of God and Messiah, he would have none of it. And he was so zealous that he would actually, uh, he actually would get letters to arrest Christians. And so that's why he says that he is the very least of all the saints. Now, that's not the idea of these canonized individuals. As you read saints in your New Testament, it just refers to those who have made right with God through Jesus. 1 Corinthians 59, he says he, was the, he felt he was the least because he persecuted the church. Acts 8.3, we read this. This listen to this picture. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women and putting them in prison. Can you imagine this person with zeal that would drag women away from their homes? That is, that is some serious violence. And so he never forgot that. Of course, Jesus met him and showed him amazing grace. So grace was given even to Paul. He turned from his violence. He turned to Jesus. And God gave him, not just in grace, or the idea of grace, this grace was given. Grace is something that is given to you that you don't deserve. Uh, It's so important. It's the idea of favor, kindness, goodwill. I love when people think of me favorably. That's, that's the idea of grace, favor, kindness. But this is the grace of God, that God would think favorably, that God would think kindly of Paul. And that's amazing. But that was given to him, not based on his zeal for the law, but it was given to him because of Jesus. And that's what he found out, that Jesus lived a perfect life and gave it by grace to Paul. That Jesus, as he was dying on the cross, actually was taking upon himself all the sin, the lawlessness, the bad stuff. Right? And bad stuff is right, variously interpreted in all kinds of different homes. Right? In our home, there's things that are bad that are not bad in your homes. All different cultures have things that are bad. But generally speaking, you can read and you know that God has set aside certain things from the beginning that are bad. And, and when we break those things, God says it's breaking his law. Nobody has kept all of that law. And so Jesus had to come, and he actually stood in our stead, and he died in our place, taking upon himself the wrath of the Father. And that grace is given to all of us. It's offered to all of us. And so you have this unworthy messenger that was given this unusual blessing. This person who persecuted the church then actually begins to preach it. Uh, This gracious calling to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. But he's really focused not on his Jewish brothers, but on the Gentiles. And this was so foreign to their thinking. They would not associate with people who were not Jewish in that day. And so here Paul comes and he says, you know what? Jesus wants me to share this riches to the Gentiles, to those who are not Jewish. And so that's why it's unfathomable. He wants to preach to Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ earns all of this to you. And no matter what you're, where you're born, anywhere in the world, no matter what your background, he offers these riches to you today. And we're going to talk a little bit about what those riches are. It doesn't necessarily mean a Rolex or a, a beautiful car. It's talking about his son and being right with him. And so he gives this gracious calling to Paul to preach the good news to the Gentiles, the infallible riches of Christ, and then bring to light, right, there's this light that needs to be given to the mystery of the gospel. 
And so you read the Old Covenant, the first uh, 36 books of your Bible here, and, and they all speak about Jesus, but not as many talk about the Gentiles actually sharing in with Jewish people in this blessing. So that was a little bit of a secret. Um, and, and then Paul sent to say, no, listen, this good news is not just for Jewish people. And our church has a lot of Jewish folks in it, right? This is not just for Jewish people. This is for everybody, no matter where you were born, you need to believe also in Jesus. And so it's true. Paul deserved nothing, but he was given this great ministry. Well, why, why did God choose Paul to do that? This is the purpose. And this is where we get to our secret today what the angels are watching on TV. Verse 10, this is why God did this. This is why God set in motion this, this glorious good news that Jesus has come, that anyone, no matter what your background, you can believe on him and have eternal life, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places this was in accordance with his eternal purpose, which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Now, I would love to take 30 minutes with that, but I, I won't. I won't. So many awesome prepositions and words in there that just pile up, pile up, pile up beautiful blessings. Let's just walk through them very quickly, okay? There's a heavenly purpose focused from heaven to earth. And then there's an earthly focus, focused from earth to heaven. There's a heavenly purpose, first of all, from heaven to earth. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Well, what is glorified here? What is glorified? Um, what is made known or given glory? The manifold wisdom of God. This is our word and the word for our day manifold, right? Thinking through all that he's taught so far, that he's talked about being the apostle to the Gentiles, and this is not just Jewish, this is for every people group on earth. Then he comes to this word and says, this is that the manifold wisdom of God would be made known. Manifold, multi-sided, all these different phases and sides and faces, like a Rare and beautifully cut diamond. It's, it's beautiful because God's putting it together. He's putting together uh, people that sing Amazing Grace in Swahili and Russian and, China, and Mandarin and Spanish and Hebrew. And you could name uh, so many other. I think the Guinness Book of World Records has 36 different languages that Amazing Grace is translated into. So God's purpose is that this manifold, multifaceted wisdom would be known through all the faces that are coming together. But how are they seen? What is the light that, that really jumps into that spiritual diamond and displays glory? What is the agency that God uses? Or through whom? Through you. Through the church. Through the church, this manifold wisdom is made known. Right? The World Cup, we're going to get together. It'll be really neat because there's all these wars and rumors of wars, but there we'll get together and play a game um, for a little bit. Now, there will be a lot, of, a lot of pressure there, but that's about the only time the world gets together without fighting, except in the church. In this church, 
there's this glorious thing that God's doing that when we come into these walls, we, we set aside our minor differences and we embrace Jesus together and we say, let's, you know, let's love one another through Christ. It's a glorious thing. The world fights and fights and fights and you get together and we're going to have a fellowship meal. We're going to celebrate the foods from all around the world because Jesus has changed us where we love welcoming people. This is what it's talking about. This is talking about God's multifaceted wisdom, and, and it's a spiritual diamond. So, like, I love the beauty of diamonds, but it's something that you can't necessarily see except right here. This is about as close as you'll get this side of heaven to seeing this beautiful diamond in this church. People from all over the world that come together, and, and, and we just have to say, praise God for his wisdom. Well, who is watching this? To whom is this made known? To, look at that, the, the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. The rulers and authorities in heavenly places are watching this. So if you're, you have your Bible there, you can turn over to chapter 6, verse 12, and you find out who those are. Chapter 6, verse 12 of Ephesians, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not talking about flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, spiritual forces. This is talking about the angelic realm. The angelic realm is seeing the church. And they're saying, wow, look at what God is doing. You see, this won't be picked up on CNN or any news network. But the angels are picking this up and they're saying, God's done this ever since Jesus rose from the grave that first day of Pentecost. He's been putting people together. They've been setting their differences aside and they've been serving one another in this spiritual body. What an amazing thing God is doing in the church. And the angels are watching it. This building is being built in Africa, Asia, Australia, Americas, Europe, all over these continents, all over the world. And the angels are watching and they're saying, glory to God. Something only he could have planned. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. His unsearchable ways. His judgments are unfathomable. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become his counselor? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. And so this is a glorious thing that we can be a part of because of the good news of Jesus. But it's not just a purpose from heaven to earth. It's a purpose from earth to heaven. And this is where this becomes very practical for you. And I pray very comforting to all of you to recognize what you have in Jesus. Now, not only are the angels looking down and watching us, but now you have access there. You have access to God. And so we have this earth to heaven purpose. This was in accordance with his eternal purpose, which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. The timing of it, it's an eternal purpose. God planned to build his church. This was not plan B, phase two, because phase one didn't work. This was in accordance with his eternal purpose 
that he planned that his son would come and demonstrate his great love for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, meaning anyone from all over the world that would believe in Jesus, would not perish but have everlasting life. This is amazing grace and God purposed to do this to build his church. How does he do it? The agent is Jesus Christ. It's carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus, the Messiah. Christ means Messiah, the, the anointed one from the Father, born of a Virgin Mary, again living a perfect life, fulfilling all the law, then coming to Calvary as a sacrificial lamb. This is the agency through which Jesus earns our favor. You cannot have it for free. It cost God the Father his own son. It cost Jesus his life's blood as he died on the cross for you and for me. And so Jesus is the agency. And so he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except for him, through him. And so because Jesus has opened the way, he has torn down the wall of partition. When Jesus died, does anyone remember what ripped from top to bottom? The veil. That was symbolizing the fact that the holiest of holiest of places on all the earth up to that point, the very temple itself could now be accessed by all because Jesus had been rent. And because Jesus is rent, all of us now can come into his very presence, the Father's very presence. And it's not by any church. It's not by any organization. Right? It's the spiritual church. No denominational name. It's by Jesus himself. And so because of that, we have this glorious rich, this very, very rich thing in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. You have that today, right? And, and this is just between you and God. You and God. Paul was very religious. His name was Saul at the time. Uh, very religious, and yet he fell short of the glory of God. He was more zealous than anyone, and yet he fell short. He needed Jesus. You, no matter how religious you are, you need Jesus. You need to trust in him. No matter what our background is, whether very religious or very uh, unreligious, irreligious, even hating religion, we need Jesus. It's not about religion. It's about God loving you. Sending his son to die for you. Just, just keep religion out of it and make it between you and God today. Elizabeth was a 27-year-old conscientious mommy. Uh, she, she taught her little son, John, the same thing I'm trying to teach my 8-year-old son. Uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. She taught him a lot of psalms and he memorized. she made him memorize so much. Uh, when she was 27, she passed away. He was seven. His dad was a sailor and was always gone, and so he married again. The stepmom was not nurturing at all. At 10, uh, John was placed at sea by 10 years old. He started to learn the ways of a sailor. By 17, he got in with a man who was an atheist, a 19-year-old, who taught him to resist God, to hate God. He said, Mitchell so plied me with objections and arguments that my de depraved heart was soon gained. Like an unwary sailor who quits his port just before a rising storm, 
I renounce the hopes and comforts of the gospel that his mom taught him. And from then, for about 10 years, he lived a very, very wicked life. He said, I was exceedingly vile. I not only sinned with a high hand myself, but made it my study to, to tempt and seduce others upon every occasion. He got out of his homeland. He actually uh, moved to Africa to be able to uh, be as wicked as he wanted. He joined uh, what we would call the, the most of wickedest of trades. To become wealthy, he became a slave trader. He went into business with a man named Amos, the owner of a ship. He was married to an African princess uh, from a very influential tribe. When her husband was gone, John took ill, and she started treating him as her people had been treated. She chained him up, actually chained him up like a dog outside. He had to eat. He had to dig through the ground for roots to eat, rely on the mercy of others to keep him alive. When the partner returned, he treated him like a dog as well, treated him as a slave. He worked as a slave for a year. Uh, they brought him on a slave, slave ship. No, no doubt, no wonder Newton called himself a worm. Um, on the slave ship, he was chained as a slave. Uh, he was rescued from that, but continued in his debauchery, blasphemy, witchcraft, violence, immorality, until a storm came along like Jonah. Aiken, his biographer, account, recounts at about nine in the morning, their struggle for survival was spent. Shivering with cold, he spoke to the captain. Both of them knew they were probably going to sink and drown. The Greyhound at the Atlantic Sea. One of the other men tried one last suggestion, and Newton concluded, just kind of in passing, if this will not do, the Lord have mercy on us. And with that, just saying that, something, it all clicked. He recognized there, if God, right there, dying on a ship, if God does not have mercy on my soul, I'm doomed. And at that point, his heart changed. God have mercy on us. God heard that prayer. He not only saved him physically, he saved him spiritually. He trusted in Jesus for the mercy that his soul needed. He quit his trade. He eventually joined with William Wilberforce to abolish slavery in England. He became a preacher of the gospel. And he wrote the glorious hymn that we sing to this day. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I've already come. His grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. 
And then we all sing, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Because this gift of God's grace doesn't end, doesn't run out. You have it the rest of your life, the rest of your eternal life. A million years from now, you're set with God through Jesus Christ. Perhaps you're at a storm today. We'll close here with maybe just just take a moment and think about this. If you would maybe close your eyes and just think of yourself before God. And this is a glorious message of God's grace. And it's good news for all of you. You actually right now, because of this verse, what this verse says, you have access to God through Jesus. You just have to believe it. Whether you're very religious like Paul or you're very rebellious like John. We all need Jesus. I need Jesus every day. He's given me grace through Jesus. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And so he offers to you this gift of eternal life. Even now, you just have to receive it. It's a gift. It's a gift. You can't earn it. So I would encourage you to do right now, if you believe this message that God has sent Jesus, you might not believe, that's up to you. But if you believe this message, it's up to you to receive it. This is appropriating it. It's trusting that this is true for you. It's like if it was raining outside and I said, I believe this umbrella is going to help me, but I never took it with me. You can believe it, but not appropriate it. And so let me encourage you even now, just talk to Jesus and say, I believe in you. I believe that you died to take my place. And I trust that that was for me. That you died to pay the penalty for all my sin. No matter what it is, we all have different flavors of sin. Whatever that sin is, Jesus died to pay the penalty for it. And to give you right standing with the Father. So that he can have eternal life in heaven. Let me encourage you to respond to him today. To do that, you could even pray something like this. Lord Jesus... I believe you came to pay the penalty for my sin, to give me grace. I accept the gift of eternal life. I turn from a life of sin. I turn from it. I believe that you are enough. Give to me your forgiveness and your eternal life. If you'll call upon him, he will save you. Maybe there's something else that's burdening your heart. Would you come to the Lord in prayer? You, give, you have bold access before him. In just a moment, Pastor Andrew will close us. I'll be standing in the back lobby. Be happy to chat with any of you about this before we close here. Let's pray.